You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. I got an email yesterday, just a little email, that told me that the best present I ordered for my child this year won't be delivered until the week after Christmas. Now, whatever, it doesn't matter, but it made me mad. Like, disproportionately mad. And that tends to happen to me this time of year. Here's the thing about the holiday season. Yes, it can be full of joy. Yes, lots of people are happy, or at least really good at pretending. But underneath, a lot of people you know are kind of on edge. You might have kids that have huge expectations for presents. You might have a family that wants you to follow their rigid schedules exactly. You might have a family that doesn't make you feel very good about yourself, but you are required to spend time with anyway. You might be mourning someone. You might be lonely. You might be broke. You might just be plain old going through some shit. And you might have a friend, a colleague, or a loved one who just absolutely, genuinely loves this time of year and tries to cheer you up by force-feeding you some holiday cheer. This season can be tough for many, many reasons. But you also don't have to let it win. So today... As all those traditions and dinners and packed schedules and work parties and gift expectations beckon, we have a little gift for you. A mental health guide to the holiday season. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Erica Jossa is a registered psychotherapist, a maternal psychotherapist, and the host of the Happy as a Mother podcast. She's very good with dealing with seasonal feelings and big feelings at that, right, Erica? All the big feelings. All the feelings welcome. Totally. We are doing this because uh, it's the middle of the holiday season and... Listen, we'll do the hard stuff first. Uh, The holidays are supposed to be an incredibly happy time of year. I know that that's not always the case for people. Why is that? And and what do we know about the rates of, uh, sadly, things like depression and suicide at this time of year? It's a really interesting time of year because maybe aside from Thanksgiving, I don't think we're met with such toxic positivity, right? Like, Mm. be merry and bright and joyful and grateful. So I feel like there's this real switch that happens when we enter into the holiday season that like positivity is expected. But what we actually see is that there is a rise in depression and like complex feelings in December, especially so much so that they call them the holiday blues. Like it's a common phenomenon. Many people experience it for a number of reasons. But what's actually interesting is that the suicide rates are actually the lowest in December of any other month of the year. So it's kind of a weird relationship there. But there's a number of reasons why this pressure builds. There's like increased demands on everybody, but especially moms and parents and all the shopping and magic making and Santa, you know, all of that. 
students are in finals. It's year-end at work. People are anticipating layoffs, not knowing if they're going to have employment. Like there's so many increased demands and stressors. We've got relational conflict, weird conversations happening with family at the dinner table, maybe grief and loss about relationships that are no longer intact or people who we physically lost in our lives or pregnancies we were supposed to be announcing that we're not. Like, it's a really complex time. Throw in some real perfectionism and high expectations, Hmm. and we've got a real perfect storm, I would say. That's why we wanted to do this episode uh, just before we leave for the holiday break to kind of leave our listeners with... I don't know, something that will hopefully prepare them uh, in some kind of way. And one of the interesting things that came up while we were talking about it is we found ourselves using the term get through the holidays, which, Mm. which sounds like the wrong thing to be saying, but it feels right. You're just like knuckle, white knuckling along for the ride. How do we just get through all the demands and expectations, the social demands, the like relational family demands, the traditions, like any parents out there know, goodness sake, every spare second I have, I'm researching what gifts I'm going to buy and where I'm going to get them from and trying to do these last minute errands. It is just such an uptick in the sheer amount of tasks, both physically and invisibly that go on, these cognitive tasks that it is, we're all just trying to trying to make it through. And it's quite the opposite of what is sort of packaged with this pretty bow and message to us that, you know, we're merry and bright this time of year. So first, um, like I said, we want to talk about the hard stuff. And you mentioned, you know, there's grief and loss and there can be the end of relationships or unexpected ends to pregnancy or just people who are really struggling. Um, If somebody is struggling with some of those things, or I guess also if they know somebody who is really struggling, what can they do to help them survive is maybe too bold a term, but like what can they do to help them hold on through the holidays? I think one of the biggest things is recognizing that we don't cease to be human despite all of the cheer going on around us, right? We are complex human beings and people's families don't automatically not have conflict or baggage. Or when we're sitting at the dining room table and there's an empty chair for whatever reason, those complex negative or, you know, big emotions and feelings are real. And I think that what happens is in our desire to cling to some nostalgia and some cheer and warmth over the holidays, we want to actually like push those friends towards positivity. We want to say things like, oh, well. Come have fun. It'll be okay. Oh, at least, you know, whatever. Anything that starts with that at least is minimizing and dismissing. But like, Hmm. you should be grateful or at least you have healthy children or at least this or at least that. And so what happens is because we so badly want this picture-perfect image of what this holiday season looks like, we actually start to sort of uh, shove the people in our lives towards that with toxic positivity. And it's really invalidating and it's really minimizing. So one of the basic sort of ground-level places I would say we can start is to just allow a whole array of emotions in the people who are in our lives and like validate that this is a hard time and ask them maybe what they need. Are you looking for advice from me right now? Do you just need me to listen? How can I help support you during this time? I understand that this is difficult and really resist our urge to sort of push them over the edge to be grateful because that's, it's 
kind of dismissing and it really doesn't help help anybody feel better. What about the folks who are struggling less, who may not be dealing with some of the more negative aspects of, of grief and loss, but still find themselves feeling down or uh, more particularly like overwhelmed. Mm. And I've seen you talk about the invisible load here. Maybe what is it and how should someone handle it if they are really struggling with it? I think what you're describing is a really, uh, like a mind trip for people. They look around their life and they say like, I'm really blessed. I have my job. I have a healthy family. We've got a roof over our head, you know, things feel like I should be happy, but I'm still struggling. And it's a really confusing place for people to find themselves. The holidays are a time I feel like we step back a little bit and become reflective about, you know, who is in our life, what's happening in our life, uh, whether we're satisfied or not satisfied. So I think that even that like existential moment of reflection brings maybe some letdown or disappointment where maybe we're not where we're we thought we would be or our family mm. doesn't look the way we thought it would or whatever. So I think that there is a, a piece of that uh, reflection that goes on in these big moments. And when we're talking the invisible load, we're talking the cognitive mental labor that goes on for people. Um, particularly, I talk about this a lot in regards to parents and mothers who carry this just overwhelming cognitive list in their mind. I describe it as like, you've got your browser open and there are just a million tabs. And then there's like the one that is just playing baby shark in the background and you just cannot find <laughs> that tab that oh, needs God. to be shut down because it's just so, you know, annoying. Yeah, It is that constant cognitive noise, the to-dos that are pervasive. They infiltrate your leisure time. They infiltrate your, you know, holiday parties because you can't unwind and relax because they're just, they haunt you wherever you go. And how do we, how do we put some boundaries on that cognitive labor for for people, for moms, for parents, because it, it just seeps into all aspects of our life. This is a good time maybe to talk about boundaries then. And I guess my question is, and I uh, don't mean to sound like a sourpuss here, even though uh, I probably am one, but how can you, when, when somebody, uh, either yourself or someone in your family is struggling with that incredibly long list and they're feeling overwhelmed, how can you say no to something that can be incredibly important to other people? This is a really huge time for like family traditions and expectations, right? And I'm thinking like, oh no, we always do X, Y, or Z. We have to. And mm. you're just like, I can't do one more thing. How do you how do you decline without wrecking everyone's holidays? I think that there's a really common misconception here that when we set boundaries with people that it's automatically going to be followed by conflict or that we have to be harsh in the way that we deliver our boundary. But I think that boundaries can actually be set in such a tactful and loving way that helps those in our life understand our perspective and why this boundary is important to us. Mm -hmm. So depending on the situation, if it's expectations being applied that you should do this this way or carry forward this tradition, I get that a lot from parents, like where maybe parents of previous generations want to insert how things should be done and they're deciding to parent in their own way and parent differently. Yep. And I think that we can start with, I appreciate that this comes from a place of care. You know, I appreciate that you care about me and that's why this conversation is coming up. However, our family values X, Y, and Z. So we're actually going to prioritize this this year. And so we can 
we can recognize that the person actually probably just wants what's best for us and we can give them that, right? Like, I see where this is coming from. I see your point of view. However, for us, that's just not how we're going to approach it this year for XYZ reasons. And I want to say for 95% of the people in our lives, they want to know our boundaries and they want to respect those things. But then we've got that 5% who I would call the boundary violators who will push even when we've placed that softer boundary out there. Right. And those we kind of have to like double down on and sort of parrot that boundary over and over again because they will continue to push. So that's a little bit of a trickier situation, but I've got a lot of resources on that if you've got a boundary violator in your life. <laughs> well, maybe um, if you could share one or two with us right now, because I, I do think that there are folks who see declining things around this time uh, as making you the Grinch. And, mm. you know, they have... Whether or not it's fair, it's probably not fair. They have their own expectations for the holiday season. And uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but I doubt it. They can make you feel, even if they're being respectful to your boundaries, they can make you feel like you're ruining their holidays. Mm, like the guilt trip that you get put on. Exactly. Right? Like the, oh, you're, how could you choose to do this this year? We do it this way every year. And it's you're... fine. We'll just go by ourselves and we'll miss you. Right. And I think that that is uh, something that we have to work through personally. The guilt that we feel for um, possibly letting people down or disappointing them. I think that we've all, or maybe not all, but the majority of us have been raised to center other people's emotions over our own. And so to make a decision for ourselves that is healthy in alignment with our values actually is really uncomfortable for us. And we don't have a lot of skills to tolerate that discomfort because mm -hmm. we've been so taught to prioritize others' emotions and center their emotions. And I think that there's a real balance that can be found here. And it takes some learning and some intention, but I just need to put that out there. Like that's some individual work we have to do that if we're so concerned with letting others down and people pleasing, this is actually an us issue. Because if they're like subtly guilt tripping, that's not big conflict. That's not them pushing back on our boundaries in an aggressive way, like a narcissistic maybe parent would or something like that. That's actually just us feeling really bad that we can't please them in that moment. And that's some internal work to do. That's a little bit separate. So far, we've kept these questions fairly general and applicable to all, but you are a maternal psychotherapist. You do host a parenting podcast. And listen, this is the time of year for kids. So I wanted to ask you first, you know, if you're a parent, how do you deal uh, with kids' expectations for the holiday season? Or maybe um, it's more realistic to say your expectations for kids for the holiday season. And how do you help kids? Because you know what, with all the family gatherings and, you know, many cousins and, and Lord knows what else, I feel like there's actually an awful lot of expectations on kids for their behavior too. Totally. I think there's two pieces of expectations here. I think that as parents and as, as a mom, I can speak about my own experience, I put so much of that invisible labor, that thought, that research, that time into finding the perfect gifts and curating these, you know, really personal items for each of my three boys, right? It's a lot of work that goes into it. And then they rip it open on Christmas morning and they're like, unhappy with what they got or something, right? So I think the expectations from a, we're, we are trying to be the magic makers and then we get into that moment in that situation and it's not as we envisioned it would be. Mm -hmm. The disappointment that can come or the frustration or the feelings like our children are ungrateful. Like these, these moments happen 
they happen a lot. And I think that trying to understand, uh, you know, our our child and their little brain can be helpful because it's not going to be perfect and they will discard it and move on to the next. And so I think that sort of getting realistic about what that, uh, like, wrapping crime scene is really going to look like versus this really romanticized vision we have in our minds, right? So I think that we've got some work to do there with these really high expectations we have. And then in terms of our children's behavior, now there's a there are some things to consider here. We are out of routine. Yeah. We're not in school. We are probably skipping naps to drive to grandma's house. You know, we are probably- And full consum- of sugar. I was going to say, consuming more sugar and treats than we normally ever would. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of, you know, roller coastering of emotions and seeing family members and just a whirlwind, truthfully, that I would call those vulnerability factors. Those are things out of the norm that are prone- times for tantrums and meltdowns and big feelings to emerge, uh, or maybe even like regressions in behavior and potty training and various things that uh, kind of can cause some alarm bells to go off for parents and and maybe can be concerning. Uh, It even for us, like we're out of routine. My kids are going to be home for two weeks straight. It's going to be overstimulating and loud and noisy. There's going to be mess and stuff everywhere. And I'm probably going to be pulling my hair out by the time these two weeks of school break are over. We're all going to be in this experience together. So I think that being able to step out of the the nitty-gritty moment of the meltdown, back out and see, okay, what other vulnerability factors are at play today? What other things are contributing to this moment? You know, we've been on the road, we've been traveling, there's no, there's been no nap, all of those factors. And also for ourselves that we do that, like, why am I so snippy right now? Why am I losing my temper on my kid? Why am I yelling and raising my voice? I'm supposed to be happy, cheerful, and merry, you Mm -hmm. know? And seeing actually the kids have been sick or I've been sick. I've been parenting while I'm sick. Or the kids were up at 5.30 this morning because they thought they were going to catch Santa and were exhausted, you know? So giving ourselves some grace and realizing that, okay, that's what's going on. That's what's contributing. Then maybe tomorrow we're actually going to plan to have a quiet, you know, low energy around the house day to recover and reset a little bit. And it's not about me being a bad parent. It's not about my child being uh, ungrateful or misbehaving or defiant. It's that we are out of routine. There's a lot of needs that are not being met. And maybe we just need to adjust accordingly for a day or two so we can get back on track. So last question then, if we don't have uh, a full day to, you know, step back and relax and get back on track, what's your best tip or two for in the moment um, you feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling really down at a celebratory event. What's your best kind of few minutes tip for people? Hmm. It's interesting because there's there's two things I think that people could be experiencing in these moments. They might feel down and disconnected, or they might feel anxious and overwhelmed and overstimulated by all the movement and noise. In the overstimulated moments, okay, just to get by, Pop your headbuds in, your noise-canceling earphones or earbuds. Don't put on a podcast. Don't tune out and ignore people, but bring some of the stimulation down and see and allow your body to adjust. Our senses and our auditory system are hardwired into our nervous system. 
And we don't understand how much noise can be very activating for us. So there are some Mm. really simple little things we can do. Step outside for a moment. The cold is actually a really good reset for our nervous system as well. Maybe you step out on the porch and take 10 deep breaths. You know, if you're feeling overstimulated, there's lots of little like hacks and tricks we can do there. And on the flip side of that, if you're feeling low, our tendency when we're down and in a low mood and depressed is that we disconnect from others. We pull away. We lose interest in the things that we enjoy. We don't want to share about ourselves. And so I like to turn to something called opposite action in this moment. So whatever our depressive mood is telling us to do, you know, retreat into a corner on our phone and Mm -hmm. hide away and push others away and disconnect, I think that it's actually really healthy and important for us to do the opposite of what our depression is telling us to do in that moment. Strike up a conversation with somebody who you you trust or have some commonality with. Play a board game that maybe is doesn't have a lot of pressure to, you know, interact and connect, but you're you're doing something with somebody else that brings a sense of belonging and connectedness and community. And that's a really, really great place to start. And then you'll have that memory or you'll walk away from that situation feeling like somebody paid attention to you, they cared for you versus the self-fulfilling prophecy of withdrawing and hiding in the corner on our phone and saying, nobody even cared that I was here. So push yourself to do the opposite of what your depression tells you to and make a bid to connect with somebody, somebody who you value and who you trust. Erica, thanks for all this. I found it really helpful. Um, I'm hoping some of our listeners will too. Have a happy holidays. You as well. Thank you so much for having me. Erica Jossa, registered psychotherapist and the host of Happy as a Mother, which you can find, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. That was the big story. For the next couple of weeks, we will have not daily breaking news episodes for you, but almost every day, We will have something in this feed for you to listen to, whether it's some of our favorite episodes of the year, a couple of holiday-themed episodes, a couple of things looking back at the year that was, maybe a surprise or two, maybe some bloopers, whatever we feel like. We want to make sure that you've got a companion to the holiday season, but not one that is going to lay some burdensome bad news on you every morning. If you have ideas, well, it might be too late, but you should never hesitate to send them in, especially if you have ideas for what we should be looking at next year. What do you think will be a big story in 2023? Let us know now. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us, hello, at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave a message, 416-935-5935. You should know, as we come towards the end of the year, that the majority of you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. However, you also listen to it on Spotify, on CastBox, on Google Podcasts, on Overcast, on Podcast and Radio Addict, on Pocket Casts, on Stitcher, on Podbean, on Echo Podcasts, and 37 more applications. So wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find the big story. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and a happy holiday season, and I'll see you in this feed on Monday. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. 
It's the story of Broomgate. How a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.